For over 30 years, WRFL Lexington has been your source for live alternative programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. However, current health precautions are limiting our ability to provide continuous live programming. With that in mind, the following program has been pre-recorded. If you have any questions or would like to give feedback, please email contact at wrfl.fm. Regardless of our situation, WRFL is still your only alternative left. The following program contains views, ideas, and opinions that have been produced by the host DJ and their guests and are not reflective of the views of WRFL or its underwriters. For questions, comments, or concerns, please email programming at wrfl.fm. WRFL Lexington 88.1 Hello and welcome to The Listening Hour. My name is Peter Briggs. I'm your host. And today is the first of a series of many episodes that uh, is aiming to hopefully get a better understanding of the state of listening in America and in culture and in your own spheres at home. So I'm going to start out to give um, a little bit of context for the motivation for this show. Over the past year or so, I've noticed a lot of lack of ability to listen and increased polarization in um, my friendships, in my family, uh, in culture at large, and any kind of news that I've taken in. And it's been really discouraging. Um, I think a lot of times I've played the role of just being mediator or just being um, someone who's doesn't want to take a side because I would see those on the extreme sides and be like, I don't want to be like that. Uh, I want to be able to have empathy and listen. But I think that's held me back from defining my views clearly. So honestly, my selfish view for this show is to, um, yes, have a space to listen, but also to have a space for people who are seeking middle ground to express their opinions in a way where they're, they're still seeing the human side. And that brings me to the next big point of the show, which is um, helping people to not separate uh, or to help separate opinions from the, the person. And I think I've seen uh, a dehumanization in people that I love to, to say, hey, that person is like from the devil because they hold this idea and everything that comes from them is bad. And there's almost like this, this switch that turns off. Um, and I think if you truly dig into the, the common relatable human experience, even among people who have um, vastly different views on you that might seem outrageous uh, there's still some ability to have empathy and in order to ever start moving towards some kind of middle ground uh, there has to be in my opinion an ability to see that human side so that's the overarching goal the the show is going to go through a lot of issues that are tough to talk about and hopefully bring on people who are seeking middle ground and are willing to listen to each other but this first episode is honestly just a taking a little bit of a cross-section of my circles um, and hopefully allowing some conversation to talk about what is the state of listening right now in America and um, what are things we can hope for, what are some big issues that we're currently facing. And so the way that I thought about doing that was to bring on two special guests, which I will now introduce. We have Mr. Douglas Sinner and Mrs. Bree Stanley. Miss Bree Stanley. Mrs. Wow. Excuse me. <laughs> um, so we'll start off uh, with... Miss Stanley, actually, if you'll introduce yourself, talk about 
your past, uh, where you're from, your entire life story uh, in roughly 30 seconds. And uh, then we'll move on to Doug just to give your listeners an idea of who you are. Okay. Well, I'm Bree. Um, I am a recent UK University of Kentucky graduate. Um, Yep. This past December did a little victory semester um, to finish up a psych degree. And I also studied environmental science. Um, I was born in Lexington, um, but I lived in New Zealand for eight years. So a little bit of a different experience there. And then I came back in kind of Lexington sandwich. I was born in Lexington, lived overseas, and now I'm back here again um, looking for next steps. So graduated, worked for environmental services downtown. Um, What else about me? I really like rabbits. Yeah, give me a fun fact. Fun fact, um, I guess that's well, you totally that preempted fun. this one, but I once had 43, I've had 43 rabbits over the course of my life. Wow. Um, yes. That's, so that's my claim to fame. Uh, <laughs> very, very qualified to talk about uh, <laughs> such issues as you just talked about. Um, thanks wow. to thanks I think to I have a mutual like friend that. for you, Bree, because last night my wife and I were hanging out with some friends, and there's a girl named Jess, and she grew up also breeding rabbits wow like a ridiculous amount of rabbits it just happens and two in 24 hours i just met two people in 24 hours that if they got together though there would be too much breeding and the rabbits would go crazy yeah so we should probably at risk of derailing this completely i'm gonna (laughs) send it over to doug now yeah yeah so uh my like peter introduced my name's doug um i am also a recent graduate of the university of kentucky graduated last may um, from with a laundry list of, of programs, double major history, um, and then social studies education, and then a quadruple minor. It does exist. <laughs> um, they said Quite it couldn't common. be done, but it, it could be done. I don't think anybody will ever attempt it again. Um, but I, I also study classics, political science, um, Hebrew and Jewish studies and world religion. So, um, lots, lots uh, of amazing experiences I had at the University of Kentucky very thankful for my time there but um, now my wife and I are actually about to move to Dallas Texas Um, I work for a nonprofit um, down there called Passages Israel um, who kind of uh, works in the Christian world um, and also the political world Um, so I have lots of experience with listening and lack thereof more (laughs) more probably lack thereof Um, but yes I grew up around the country um, a lot of a lot of different places, a lot of different states, um, and then eventually my parents moved to Kentucky when I was like 11 or 12 years old, and uh, I've been here ever since. So I'm actually uh, we're about to move here soon, so a little sad to leave, um, but mm-hmm. it's been good. Thanks, guys. It is sad for you to leave. Um, okay, well we'll get right into it. Uh, I think I, it would behoove me to ask both of you what your definition of listening is so we make sure we're on the same page of what we're actually talking about um so just generally speaking when you hear the word listening in the context of relationships doug we'll start with you because we left off with you what what does that mean to you what does it mean to really listen to someone or to be listened to i definitely think listening to someone means that you have some sense of understanding about somebody else's understanding <laughs> that yet somebody is kind of giving you um, an opportunity to look in, into the windows of their of their mind in a way um, they're trying to convey something to you that could be factual information that can be emotional information um, that could be some sort of paradigm and framework through which they see the world and you for a moment kind of get that you kind of see what they're what they're talking about. You might not think the same way, but you walk away from that having kind of a, a picture 
of somebody's inner mode of thought. Hmm. That's a, a way that I would probably describe it. I like that a lot. What about you, Bree? I really like that description. Um, I'm reading, recently I read a book um, by a psychiatrist named Scott Peck who um, talked a lot about listening and genuine friendships. And I really like, he had one line where he said, um, genuine listening requires a setting aside of oneself. Um, and I like that because I feel like we're often, we're listening to people to respond um, rather than listening to actually hear what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And that's so much harder than it actually sounds. And I've been thinking a lot about how to actually do that. And then sometimes, you know, I'm listening to somebody and I think about how I need to be listening better. And then that's not the, not the point either. But yeah, I think it's, it involves um, truly trying to experience what the other person is trying to get across um, without inserting yourself and your own, um, mm. doing your best to not insert your own interpretations or get ready to say what you're going to say. It's funny because I'm literally, as you were saying Yeah, that, you're the host. Like, you like, kind of crap. have to do this. He's calling me out. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a really difficult balance. It is a difficult balance. It's my first time, so some grace. We're here to teach mm -hmm. you, Peter. Yeah, don't worry. Don't Got worry. You. Well, by the end of this, we'll have you well, that's, all learned up. That would be amazing, actually. Because <laughs> um, we're the experts on listening. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you guys do have some experience with it. Um, okay, cool. I would, I would definitely vibe with both of those definitions. Um, do you, can either of you, and this can be either of you, and it can be a discussion too, um, maybe talk about an experience where you have felt listened to. Any come to mind? And if not, then an experience where you haven't felt listened to. Hmm. I can start this one. Go ahead, Bree. Doug's ready to go. Um, so an experience when I haven't felt listened to is unfortunately what came to mind um, first, and that's when I moved back here after living in New Zealand, and I had a much stronger New Zealand accent at that point, came to American high school. Um, and I remember for about the first three to four months, it seemed like people were not listening to what I said. They were just listening to the way that I said it, which is cool. Like it's a new, there's a, a person from a different culture who's come to a Kentucky high school and it's a novelty. And I liked the ability to start conversations with people because of that. But it also, I would give a speech and I'd sit down and people go, we just love the way you talk. And I'd be like, <laughs> I wonder if anything went in or it just went in one ear and out the other. Um, and I remember one at one point I, I got frustrated with it and uh, put on a strong American accent um, for the rest of the day to try to like snap people out of listening to me without actually hearing what I was saying. Um, but it's such a double-edged thing because it also facilitated conversation. Um, hmm. But yeah, I feel like people were looking through the lens of this is a novelty thing and not, not actually hearing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have definitely experienced many times where I felt both listened to and both um, not listened to. Uh, I mean, going the experience of going to you know a university um, is just very eye-opening for someone who I lived in a small town, um, you know, from the time I was eleven on, Western Kentucky, called Madisonville, very small, you know, farming community, coal community. My dad was a coal miner, very conservative. Um, and then going to a university, you know, you just experience so many different um, kinds of people. And so it was a very enlightening experience, you know, walking away from college, having a, a kind of global perspective 
um, experiencing all these new ideas and new thoughts and other people with experiences so very different from mine. However, there's always this, I, this kind of tension where um, in some ways I, I didn't feel listened to coming out of college because I felt um, like in some ways I didn't I didn't fit into any category. I, I came from a very conservative place and I would come home and I would talk to family members or form, you know friends or acquaintances and you start to talk with these ideas that you're learning at college and, and, and you get kind of um, marked as sort of either a, a liberal thinker or this is new thinking and this is dangerous and this is um, you know very different from anything that anybody's experienced. Wow, we sent you off and look what you came back, you know this quote unquote, you know, enlightened thinker that now is, is, you know, actually going against everything we've ever taught you. So you, I I had sort of that experience going on with college, but then at the same time, I'm sure that as you guys know, going to college, you're going to meet people with a lot of also new ideas and very experiences that are going to be much more, um, you know, left leaning or, or liberal thinking and where they would even see someone like me and they would say, wow, you, you backwards conservative person. So it almost felt like a lot of times throughout college, I'd go home and I would be called, you know, super left leaning. And then I'd go to college and I'd meet people and they go, wow, you, you're so right. And it's like, you can't make anybody happy. And anytime you try to speak um, to your experience, no, you know, aunt Susie, um, you, let me tell you about this experience. Like actually people that have lived this way have this kind of experience. And let me tell you why they think that way. And it's no. Or when I would then go to college and people would start to say things about, you know, people in my community that I grew up with, I'm like, well, that's not the whole story here. There's something more going on. Let me, let me walk you through that. And no, now I'm, I'm, I'm too liberal and too conservative at the same time in different ways. And so there, there's a feeling where you don't quite fit. But at the same time in college, I did meet people that I feel like they did get me in a way that other people never even did, even, you know, family members. I I met a lot of people that I created strong emotional bonds that really resonated with the period of life that I was in because I think that the that, that description I just made about going from home, experiencing new ideas, and not feeling like you belong is actually a common experience that a lot of people feel. So you can kind of bond over the experience of not feeling like you belong and that makes you kind of feel like you belong to kind of a island of misfit toys Mm. sort of way so throughout college i had lots of experiences where i met people that were kind of in in that boat where you kind of feel like you don't fit anywhere but you also don't know where you're going what direction you're going with you're you're looking at the world and it just seems so out of shape and that you know how can you possibly contribute there's lots of people i know um with that kind of experience yeah um, me too, which is kind of why I even wanted to start having conversations with people that would want to talk about this. WRFL's programming is made possible in part by Pearl's Restaurant. Pearl's Pizza offers wood-fired pizza, wings, salads, along with appetizers and a selection of vegan options. For more information, including hours of operation, you can visit www.pearlspizzapie.com or call 859-309-0321. WRFL thanks Pearls for supporting College Radio. Curious for both of you, you mentioned even the political discord um, and going home and feeling like you're, you don't fit there and coming into another place in college and feeling like you're also uh, out of place. Do you feel like now more than ever, this is for, this is for both of you, um, polarization-wise, which... I mean, part of the reason that I really wanted to start these conversations was honestly going home and starting to differentiate a bit from 
uh, my parents on some political issues uh, love them but i also disagree on on some things and wanting to first realizing that there was a big difference and then starting to have more conversations with even my peers and seeing this like complete divide in this polarization that i felt like i hadn't seen before and I, potentially because last year or this year was an election year um and there's a lot of political unrest and change going on that could be uh, adding to that but i'm curious do you guys feel like now is different than in the past as far as listening and polarization and if so any theories thoughts about why that might be well big questions just the small ones for <laughs> just the little ones sunday today. morning <laughs> <laughs> i had a class this summer actually um i was out working on a farm listening to lectures while picking corn which was uh, definitely an experience but one of the things i remember um was uh we talked about as a social site class and they talked about um once groups become polarized um then almost on hot button issues at least um they will become even more pushed towards their views that they already hold when presented with new information. Mm -hmm. And that's not on all issues, but on the hot button issues especially, we're way more likely to have confirmation bias when we associate ourselves with a certain group. Um, and I remember being quite disheartened about that and asking the professor, well, what's the solution yeah, then? Yeah, how do you get past that? Um, and he said, well, this is just, I mean, there's lots of people working on that. And this is this is unfortunately just a psychological thing that exists and that humans do is when we get in groups, we... Um, become even more um, strong in our beliefs. Um, and there's another, he, we also talked about group polarization. You end up um, having, making decisions that are even more um, aligned with a certain group's values or movements than you would have if you were alone. I'm not sure I'm, this is completely making sense, but I remember yeah, being sense. absolutely fascinated by that because what is the solution if you, feel like you want to have a discussion with somebody and get them to understand your side and understand theirs as well, how do you approach it if all new information is just going to push people further towards the sides that they already are in? Sorry, I've turned the question back on you. It was a sneaky <laughs> move. I feel like I asked the question, but somehow I'm... <laughs> she hit you with the Uno reverse card. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Turn that around on you, Pete. Now, I, I, would, I, would, I would say... Um, Bree, that you've really hit the nail on the head with um, kind of sociology, psychology. This is how groups tend to operate. This is how individuals and um, tribalism is, is a word that comes to mind. This is some, something that I don't think is new ever um, in human history, that humans have always tended to um, become polarized. They, they tend to stick to things that they know and that they believe and um, they want to be surrounded by people that think like them, which is naturally going to cause mm -hmm. conflict to other people that have different, you know, and new ideas. Um, however, I do think that what is unique about this time, about our day and age, and really what, what's kind of happened in the postmodern world, um, especially, you know, throughout the 20th century, is the ways in which um, we are able to consume information um, that kind of enlightens our ideas. And so I think about kind of um, the evolution of, of media in, in the effect that that um, has played on the formation of our ideas and how we relate to other people. And I, I think that if you just think just a couple generations ago, you know, our grandparents, 
um, you know, they grew up in, in, in what is known as the broadcast age of, of media in, in at least the United States of America. That's where it's, you basically have three, you know, a handful of, of main stations where you consume your media. It's your CBS, it's your ABC, it's your NBC. You know, they're going to be on the nightly news at six o'clock where you're going to listen to Walter Cronkite talk about, you know, whatever the news is for the week. And you have kind of a, a only a limited amount of sources where you're going to get all of your information in your media. You have newspapers that are going to deal with very localized things. But as far as on a national media standpoint, you only have a couple modes um, to get that. And so those few media points had to kind of um, cater to everyone. They had to be sort of in the middle because there's the left and the right and everybody's going to just three different places. Well, in our parents' age, I think that's where we get into the, the you know, the people who are now in their 50s and 60s and um, their, you know, upper 40s. They, they grew up in the 24-hour in the news cycle, you know, in the, in the 80s and then into the 90s. Then we got our, our CNN and our Fox News where cable television and there's a billion different channels that you can watch all different kinds of news on. And so now humans, because as Bree, you know, pointed out, like have this confirmation bias and they can kind of self-select and form tribes, they have way more options to choose where they get their media, where they get their information, where do they hear their new opinions. And they, it turns out they don't hear new opinions because they gravitate towards the ones that um, echo what they already think. And so that the internet age into the millennials and then now Gen Z kind of turned up the intensity on that phenomenon just a thousandfold because now we have social media. Now we have um, YouTube channels, infotainment, where it's like, it's it's actually reduced the amount of time talked about an issue. Like the sound bite gets shorter and shorter. It goes from an hour long news program to now a 15 minute segment on on Fox News to now it's or a- TikTok. You know, or t- now, yeah, it goes to a 15-minute YouTube video or a five-minute YouTube video, and then uh, and now a 30-second TikTok or 140 characters on Twitter. It's like, look at how we've reduced the conversation down, down, down. And then we select media that echoes, and we're able to get further and further and further right without engaging ever. We, we can go our entire lives without ever hearing another opinion because we don't have to anymore. We can listen to as many podcasts and shows and watch as many YouTube videos as we want that already echo what we already believe. So I think that this is a unique time for um, listening because we don't have to, you know, kind of in ways that we never, that we couldn't get out of before. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes this time unique. Yes. Oh my goodness. What you said about, (laughs) uh, about us selecting information um, and sometimes it's selected for us. Yeah. Uh, the social dilemma. The social That's dilemma. Scary. That's <laughs> yeah. scary. Yeah. Great documentary. But um, that's something that I've thought a lot about studying environmental science was it seemed like everybody who was on my social media and my Facebook pages, we were just uh, we were sharing information with each other to people who already knew and getting more and more riled up about um, the importance of what we're learning. Um, but the only people taking in that information were people who it seemed like already knew. I became really interested in how do you communicate scientific ideas to people who aren't interested, aren't already in those uh, areas where that information is, and it just seemed like an echo chamber. It, exactly, exactly. And like people, we, we, we talk in this country a lot about market and free market, and it's like there's almost like a free market of ideas. And if you are a consumer of ideas, you you are generally only going to choose the ones that you already like. You know, you're not too many people are it's going not comfortable to, to it's 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 engage. not comfortable. It's not comfortable to open yourself to vulnerability of of being wrong. We like what we're comfortable with. And and we and we tend to 
then see someone who agrees with three things that we agree with, and then, well, then they must agree on the fourth thing. Now there's a new issue. And, well, if they agree on these three things, then I'm going to listen to them on that fourth thing. And that's kind of a logical fallacy that you have to take every argument on its own merit and listen to as, you know, as many different arguments as possible. You can't just rely on that experience. People don't have that kind of time all the time. That is true. That is true. The problem of time of hearing voices. That's, man, so many different ways you can go with this. Something I would add is also with the digital age, uh, being able to separate information from and arguments from actual conversation with people. Mm Mm-hmm in my opinion, has done a huge disservice to our ability to, to listen and hear um, what someone's actually saying and not be able to demonize them and the idea so easily. And that was, that's kind of my hope even on this show is to, like, it's not to convince somebody of one idea or another, but if you hear it from a person who's, you, you can see their heart put on display in a bit um, and they can see each other and have real conversation, then hopefully some of those uh, deep-rooted prejudices against a certain idea or a way of thinking might be beaten down a bit. And I've noticed that in myself. Like, it's a lot easier for me to have a prejudice or to feel a certain way about someone's opinion before I've talked to somebody and known somebody on a deep level who holds that idea or belief. And then it's like, oh, shoot. Like, this, I, I definitely didn't realize that, you know, where this person was coming from in a way. Um, so the depeopling of it, I would add to that. So we've kind of talked about the problem a lot. There's definitely a listening problem, a polarization problem. That's not new. I feel like that's pretty easy to point out. Um, and I, this is setting the stage for this conversation that we're having right now. It's hopefully setting the stage for how to facilitate conversations in the future. Uh, there's a great YouTube channel called Middle Ground. Anyone listening, check them out. It's by Jubilee Media. And they do what I'm hopefully trying to do on radio show, uh, where they just bring people from completely different sides of an issue who are seeking middle ground. And I I do think that that is something that I've noticed, is if there is a a desire in someone's heart to find middle ground, then usually there's not even middle ground in that you're compromising on your beliefs or views, but a desire to engage in conversation. That's when you start to see real change. Because I think for a lot of people that I've met, there isn't that desire. Mm-hmm. They have closed that door. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering from, from your all's perspective, what could help facilitate real conversations for people? I mean, there's, there's different groups of people. There's some that actually want to have those conversations and they just don't have an outlet or they don't have those people in their lives to have those conversations. And there's also another group that just has shut the door. And um, I mean, from a psych perspective, you probably have some opinions and also from a historical perspective um, and just from your experience in life. Mm-hmm. What's what's the next step for us in even starting to have these conversations, which obviously I know isn't enough. Like You have to continue and, and take action and there needs to be change in some areas. But thoughts, <laughs> hopefully no questions. I mean, they're definitely uh, number one, stay off of Twitter arguments. Um, those are never YouTube comment sections. Those are never good places to have deep political, emotional conversations for sure, um, because they contribute to exactly Pete. I think what you were talking about. There's a reductionism of of people from human beings to ideas. They you cease to become a person with a story and a life and complex character and moral motivations, and you you simply become an idea in a talking point. Um, 
I, I think that the way forward is is as you say, finding a common ground. What what is that common ground? It's it's one thing to talk about that, and that's something that you hear all the time. But we have to find a common ground. But what is that? I think that we have to peel back the layers of another person until we find out where their moral motivation kind of meets ours. Where on the right and on the left in America, you have a lot of debate on all sorts of things. Like we want to talk about, you know, take take medical care. It's a very hot, contentious debate. And, and the arguments reduce down so quickly to, well, you're on the right and you don't support Obamacare because you just want to feed into corporate greed and you don't care about taking care of needy people. That's like quickly where the, there's a moral component there. And then there's the moral component thrown in on the left of, well, you don't care about individual people's rights. You don't care about people having the freedom to choose. You want to give out handouts, which means you're a person that doesn't value hard work. You're a person that, you know, all these moral, you know, mud balls being slung there. And really, if you if you if you peel back the layers, there's oftentimes a common a, a agreement on some level of morality that both sides believe that people need health care. The ways in which we do that are going to be very hotly debated. But quickly that gets lost in the sauce is that we kind of agree that this is important because we want to take care of people. And we argue about the means and the vehicles by which that occurs very, you know, hotly disagree. But we forget that we're actually kind of in agreement that we when we talk about poverty in America, the left and the right have different ways in which we try to meet that crisis. But sometimes we we forget that we actually I think both sides really do care about that crisis. And if you peel back the layers, you realize, wow, this isn't some moral monster that is a, a communist freak. This isn't a moral monster who's all about individual corporate greed. I'm not saying that there aren't those people out there, but those are the people that are actually on the polls and the the 99% of us in the middle should not be drawn to making those straw men out of, you know, kind of those ideas. I think that human beings actually have a lot in common. We tend to gravitate towards individualism and, and tribalism, but at the same time, there's a level of, of cooperation that I think is just built into our DNA. I think that human beings, even if you look at language, I'm no linguistics expert, but from from the language work that I that I've I've have talked to some linguistics and they they've taught they told me about the what's called the cooperative principle in language that even the foundation building blocks of all languages are based on this idea that what you have to say is beneficial to me in some way, shape or form. Um, when when Peter says I'm hungry and I say there's a restaurant across the street. Those two statements are completely unrelated to each other on their own, except for the fact that I, we infer a need and we infer that I'm making a statement to meet your need and I think it's going to benefit you. So we, we have that baked into human existence that we both, we all recognize that there are needs and we naturally want to meet those needs and we debate on the how. And that's what we can't lose sight of, that we're debating on the how. And recognizing that we're not moral monsters on each side, but that other person has a wildly different vehicle to get there. But wow, they actually do care about the same things that I care about. And now we can have a discussion and see how much can we agree with, how much, um, how can we accept what we can, but reject what we must. We all have different moral compasses, but when another person is talking to you, always just in your head being like, what of the, what they're saying can I accept? What can I say? Yes, I can. I can hold on to that. I can use that. And what will they say that I have to reject? If your grandma says something racist, yeah, you should probably reject that and say, Grandma, that's you know, that's not the way that we should do this here. 
But maybe some things, and she's describing her own experience, you can accept that. And we have to do that with every conversation. It's not just a full on, you are categorized here. And so exactly. there's a nuance. There's a, a nuance in its work, a lot of work. <laughs> for over 30 years, WRFL Lexington has been your source for live alternative programming, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. However, current health precautions are limiting our ability to provide continuous live programming. With that in mind, the following program has been pre-recorded. If you have any questions or would like to give feedback, please email contact at wrfl.fm. Regardless of our situation, WRFL is still your only alternative left. I feel like what I'm hearing you say relates to what Peter said at the very beginning about dehumanizing people um, and the need to rehumanize and look people in the eyes and see that they also um, are coming from a very honest place. Like we're all coming from what we believe to be true. They're not necessarily, you know, they don't necessarily hate the country because they have different views than you have. Um, and I feel like we have a lot of control over our own, um, the, our own ways we approach this. And that's really all we can do is we can't, we can't make somebody else listen. Can't make them listen? Really? Can't make them listen. I've tried and it's just not working for me. <laughs> Um, but uh, we can, and the stuff Doug's talking about is super important, like being able to um, see that we all are coming at this from like our own sense of morality, um, but it's also extremely hard because we are all defensive as humans. Um, and it's, I feel like we do, at least we have control over our own defensive responses to things that people say. Yeah. Um, and keeping mm -hmm. that in mind just as an individual, um, if somebody says something that causes your hackles to rise, like why, why is that happening? And digging into why what they said made you feel that way and then still responding not out of a reactive place, but out of a, um, an actual desire to understand what they're saying. And that is super hard. And I fail frequently at that, I think. Have you, have you guys had any experiences where you've, like you've been able to to muster up that ability to listen in the difficult way and dig in i think that um it's a learning process the the way where i have probably made the most strides in my life is actually in my marriage over the dumbest things that you could ever you know hear about that we, my wife and i have you know grew up in two di very different experiences and so very stupid things come up all the time about Christmas traditions and we each get so defensive about how we grew up and that's the one way to do it and it mm. seems so fickle but it's a, an amazing exercise to where there's so many times where I've had to pause and think and I'm really getting upset here and why am I getting upset is it because I she's saying something about my family's tradition and I'm taking that as she's saying something bad about my family and therefore saying something bad about my family values that I grew up with like you, you quickly those little moments of of kind of you know perceivable conflict over fickle things have allowed me probably the most space to grow and then to stop and to think and then to also to listen to her and realize when I'm doing the exact same thing to her whenever I'm you know implanting a bunch of my own preconceived notions onto my wife I do it all of the time and it's it's something that I have to grow in in so many ways but that I've been able to probably make the most progress. In, in other conversations of my life with really important issues because of those small ones that I've had that mm -hmm. seem very fickle. 
Yeah, I would I would second that, not with my wife, evidently, <laughs> but um, with friendships and seemingly trivial things. Um, just being able to, I, I've, it's, I've only been intentional about this recently. I started listening to more psychology podcasts and um, reading more about conversation and about defensiveness. And um, I feel like with a lot of my friends, we do come from very diverse perspectives and backgrounds. And I think it's really important to seek that out um, and to continue to hear and listen and not put up walls. Um, but there's definitely times where I've, it's been over like just little things, cultural differences. I have some friends from, I have a friend from Poland and I have a friend from Germany and then all my New Zealand and Australian friends that just don't see eye to eye at all, especially politically. And uh, I've definitely had to take a step back and try to figure out where they're coming from. And then once once you do that, it doesn't really necessarily make it easier to form your own opinions. I feel like my my views have become less set um, yeah. because you start to realize where they're coming from. But maybe that's the goal. I think that probably is closer to the goal than approaching conversation with a, an attempt to change somebody's viewpoint. I think yeah. you should approach it for the sake of learning and empathizing with them um, mm -hmm. and think maybe I'm doing it wrong. I do it the other way. What about when you're coming to the conversation and you think their belief is morally entirely um what's what i'm looking for against what you hold as far as values go uh, do you think there's still an ability to to see the human side and find middle ground or is it like a hey i have to reject this part of you and therefore you too thoughts i feel like doug touched on that with the grandma analogy um, <laughs> yeah yeah if, poor if, grandma i mean yeah there's I, I grew up in a very conservative area. I, you know, everybody's got you know a very small rural time. So I've got I've got extended family members that I'm sure you know they have different beliefs and views. But I I, I do think that every time that you yeah you're rejecting we we, we want to make people into mini Hitlers is what we want to do right like where it's just black and white and it's wrong and it's evil and you're horrible and there's no level of, of, of empathy whatsoever into, you know, their story. And when you, it, you have to come to the point where no matter, I, I've come to this realization that no matter who I'm talking to in life, whether I disagree with them, agree with them, whatever, if I had walked in their shoes, I would have ended up with the exact same thoughts that they are having, that they're speaking to me right now. If I grew up mm -hmm. where my great grandma lived and, and lived her life, there's no way I would not come out saying the exact same thing she's saying now at the Thanksgiving table. Like it's like so so yeah, there's like there's that. a tension there. There's a there's a tension between like individual responsibility where it's like we can say things are right and wrong, but also without dehumanizing the story of the person mm -hmm. that this is how they are and there's a million reasons why. You know, there's there are family members that you know I have that have gone through really horrible traumas in their life where there's been abuse on on so many levels and it, and then they 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 you know then cycle recycle that abuse into the next generation and and so on one hand you have to say that this is wrong but you have to on the other hand say there's there there's no way that 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 wouldn't have happened like if i had grown up in the same shoes that i wouldn't be doing the exact same thing yeah. and then that at least gives you the opportunity to humanize the other person to build a relationship to where if you do have someone that you believe is doing something morally wrong to where it's harmful to, to the people in your community and in your circles, you have to humanize them in order to build a bridge for a relationship that can then be strong enough 
to then hold the truth that you're about to then shove over to their way. They have You have to build a relational brig that's strong enough for me to then say to you, this is wrong and this is why, and this is why it's hurting me. Yep. This is why it's hurting the people I love. But there has to be a relational bridge that can hold that level of, of deep, heavy, weighty truth. And that's hard. <laughs> it is hard and necessitates relationship, mm-hmm. which let's be honest, Twitter and TikTok and the news don't do in any kind of meaningful way. It's hard to call them really truly social. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there, there's no way to really influence or affect change without a base level relationship, which means people who you're viewing as like far out that you are completely morally corrupt and like you completely disagree with them. Um, if you truly want change, then it does involve oddly having to get closer to build some kind of trust, which is counterintuitive, but Brie, you have something to say. I'm not sure it entirely necessitates relationship. And I think I would have said that before this past June, um, but I feel like I'm definitely still on a journey of learning and growing to understand traumas in our nation's past and um, where to go from here um, racially and um, just socioeconomic gap-wise and um, just the polarization in general. There's just so many issues and definitely still still in a massive learning phase. But I have heard more from people who say friends and people on my social media um, that are saying there comes a point when um, it's not on if, if there's somebody who's doing something that's actively hurting you mm-hmm. or hurting people you loved and they've done that for many years there comes a point where you are you're definitely not responsible for carrying on that relationship and trying to change their viewpoint or um, engaging in conversation with them at all um, and I I it might be more effective to engage in relationship with them but maybe also not maybe there comes a point where you put up a boundary and they can only realize that what they're what they're saying is causing such hurt when you cut when you kind of cut that tie or put up a boundary out of necessity Hmm. um and i don't know about like if we're talking about listening and conversations like that's obviously not a way to have a conversation but i also don't if you're if you're talking to somebody about a very difficult and polarizing issue, one that's very hurtful to you or people around you. Um, I don't think that holding on to the relationship is necessarily going to cause that change that you want to see or be the most helpful or healthy thing. Sure. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that goes right into kind of a, a, the problem of listening itself of, of what do you do with somebody that refuses to listen? Like we, we talk a lot about, you know, we've talked a lot about why hasn't, you know, what has created the state of listening in this country or, you know, in our culture, but what do you do about, you know, people that refuse to listen and that double down on not only just beliefs, but beliefs that actually, but actual actions. What, what do you do when, when actually those actions actually affect real people? Um, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a different problem in and of itself. And, and I, I would agree with, with, with Bree to a certain extent there that like, there, there are, there do, there are times where you have to um, have some sort of level of boundaries where you realize that this person is not willing to change, and it takes, you know, to actually truly have dialogue. There has to be two people that have a, a, a mutual sense of vulnerability and willingness to learn. And what happens whenever one party refuses to have have that at all? That, that's where you get people that refuse to listen at all. I mean, it, it goes all the way back to. 
I mean, Greek philosophy, Plato dialogue has, it, 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 he believed that people had in every conversation to truly have dialogue, you have to have a sense of that, of vulnerability of you could be wrong or else you'll never have dialogue. You're just manipulating. If you never believe that you could be wrong about something, you're just manipulating somebody else. And that's not true dialogue. And therefore you can't have true listening <laughs> if you're not having true dialogue. Yeah. Word. Word. That is a tough one. I, I'm still thinking about that. When, when, when are boundaries appropriate and when could you in a way be that last person's hope of having a reasonable response? Um, okay. On that note, my, some final thoughts, um, from your all's perspective and I'll give mine too afterwards. Is there hope for us? Is there hope for America? The, the future, what do we, what can we be looking for, uh, on the topic of listening and polarization and, um, yeah, hopefully leave on a happy note, but it may not be that way. Your all's thoughts. I love the gravitas of these questions. <laughs> I feel like I'm answering every question with another question. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's definitely hope. But I'm also more prone to that as a person. I think I'm more optimistic. Um, but yes, definitely hope. The fact that there's people wanting to have conversations on local radio shows and um, people actively trying to bridge the gap. I mean, as long as people are doing that, there's hope totally. And I think that a huge barrier is probably just people having time and bandwidth to be able to engage and being exposed to ideas that, I mean, I've been privileged enough to be exposed to only this summer, like just from listening to more podcasts about this stuff. Um, it's usually broadened my idea and my own personal sense of agency in having better conversations. I think that there's a lot of hope, but also obviously a lot of barriers. Yeah. This portion of WRFL's programming is made possible in part by Puccini's Smiling Teeth. Puccini's offers pizza, pasta, and more at three locations in Lexington. For more information, visit PuccinisMilingTeeth.com or call 859-269-0404. WRFL thanks Puccini's for supporting College Radio. Yeah, they're, they're, I, I don't think that there's anybody out there that would just say no, never, door shut, not an ounce. Um, this is all still very new. Like, I think society, um, you know, post-industrial revolution, it seems to be speeding up. And that, that makes things very scary because a lot of times it, it, we don't have time to pivot and react but this is all still very new, you know. The, our even just as an as a nation, as a country, we're we're only a couple of centuries old. We're we're still in. This is still all an experiment, you know, in in free ideas and individual liberty, and like this is all still very very new. So, in the in the grand scheme of things, from a thirty thousand foot view, um, how could I say that there's not hope? Whenever you know, I can look down the road in the future, um, and say that yes, we can the we can leverage these tools, social media, we can leverage the media, we can leverage technology, the internet. Um, it's always a double-edged sword. It's always can cut us and hurt us. Um, I think that the creators of the internet believed that, the, you know, I don't think we should have a naive view 
where we always believe that this is going to save humanity and never come with any drawbacks. But I never, I don't think we should be pessimistic either, and and think that we should abandon, all you know, we should dig in our holes and and hide because, at the end of the day, um, if we're going to have relationships with people, if we're going to exist as societies and communities, um, we have to engage through the means which society is already engaging itself. Yeah. And so, so I'm <clears throat> I'm not going to abandon um, all hope, and I think that there are lots of people out there. Um, that recognize these problems, that recognize that we have a lot of work to do, um, but to see the opportunity that, yes, things can get better, um, and we can work to do that. So, yeah, sure, there's hope. What do you think, Peter? Uh, Is there hope? Thank you, both of you. Um, I am also very optimistic. Uh, I, I do think there's hope, but I think there's a lot of stepping on toes. There's a lot of sitting in awkwardness, uh, maybe tears, um, a lot of conversations that are not comfortable ahead of us. But what gives me hope is, you know, people like you two uh, and the many more that I have run into in my life who, who want to have conversations and who realize the importance of empathy. And um, I think this is the greatest task set before us for, for our generation, if you will, um, is one of the greatest tasks is, is learning to navigate this new way of relating to each other. Um, and I am very hopeful and hopefully anyone listening uh, can, can join us in this endeavor to help bring listening to a world that desperately needs it. So with that, uh, I won't take your all's time anymore. Thank you guys for coming and, um, have a wonderful day.